is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors. And just a, a quick little plug uh, for this church plant that's going on. Um, we are having uh, nighttime services uh, beginning January 7th at the Orthodox Church of the Annunciation off of Van Zyl and Brick. And that starts January 7th, 4 o'clock. And um, be praying for that. Be praying for that work in Brick. And um, you'll still be seeing plenty of me. I'll be around here on Sunday mornings uh, for a while. So I'm not really going anywhere too fast. Sorry. I know that you. So I'm excited for today. Uh, we are going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. As you are flipping to 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to read this psalm. This is Psalm 110. It says this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook, by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Matthew 28 also says this from Christ's own mouth, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I read those two psalms together. Psalm 110 uh, played a very crucial role for the apostles as they were writing the New Testament. It was about Jesus um, writing the psalmist prophetically looking towards the Messiah, the Son of God coming, maybe not quite knowing every detail, but as a prophet writing of what is to come for um, it started off saying, you know, Yahweh, capital Lord, said to my Lord. And Jesus even refers to that psalm in the Gospels and says, this is ultimately about me. And I read that in Matthew 28 in Christ claiming, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now that's a part of the famous Great Commission, right? We hear those words often, but just listen to what his claim is. All authority in heaven and and on earth has been given to me. All authority. So God has on his mind world domination. And that sounds like, what did you just say? God has on his mind taking over this world. Why? Well, number one, it was his to begin with. He is the author of this world. He is the creator of this world. Psalm 24 says, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness Thereof, God has a plan right now. When we sinned at the beginning of time after creating us, he did not abandon this world. Sin permeated everything in this earth. Even creation itself has been affected by the depravity of man. When we chose to make our own decisions, chose to be our own gods ourselves, saying we will choose what is right and wrong for ourselves. We don't need the Lord's guidance. This world was then uh, in a way, given over to the enemy, the prince and power who rules this air, Satan the serpent as he is known. It is right now in his dominion, but God has a plan to reclaim this world as his own. 
In Christ, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And this sermon today, we're going to be examining your role in God's reclaiming of this world. What does that have to do with you? We'll be examining the process by which God will not just reclaim this world, but renew this world. And of that renewal of this world, what that does require of you. So as we dig into this now, let me pray. Jesus, um, I, the, the size of this uh, portion of Scripture is just cosmic in proportions, but so intimately uh, applicable to every single person in this room. Um, so Lord, would you help me to uh, convey that today? Pray this in your name. Amen. This is one of the sermons that I, uh, I spent a lot of time writing a sermon and then I scratched it all and wrote a new one this morning. So we'll see what happens. Should be interesting, right? So I'm excited. Verse 11, chapter 5. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We're kind of jumping in the middle of a book. Um, and so basically a very broad context of, of Paul writing to the Corinthians was there's these, uh, it's, this, it's the second letter we have preserved to this church. Paul was addressing what, the, what they call these super apostles, men probably highly skilled in, in speaking in public, men who were very sharp, uh, very charismatic, strong leaders, but their doctrine was off. And by you know, implication, the church was being strayed from true doctrine, and Paul was defending his apostleship, de- defending his role as an apostle of Christ. And in doing so, we, we learn a little bit about the apostolic office, but he also kind of revisits some basic Christian notions as they have been kind of guided off. He says, look, um, let's kind of go back and just remind ourselves of some basic items here. And as he does this, I'm going to build for us um, the, uh, just a, a picture of a Christian, the picture of who we are called to be as Christians and what that has um, by way of a source in the next paragraph. What is the source of that for the Christian? So let's just look at this. A couple of things Paul mentions is this. He says, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He is reminding them of not just him, himself and his Christian calling, but saying, the love of Christ controls all that I do. And as a Christian, as one who is controlled by the love of Christ, I no longer am living for myself, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And it's a great summary statement of what Paul is about to get into in verse 16. He says, From now, therefore, 
as I am controlled by the love of Christ, as I am no longer living for myself, because in the death of Christ all has died, it says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Listen to this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As Christians, we have to um, worldview. Let me just revisit the worldview conversation. Paul is addressing um, something that is uh, rather spectacular and uh, something that's outside of our experience here. Um, There is supernatural entities. There is a spiritual reality. There are things beyond this physical earth. And it's hard for us sometimes living in the West to embrace that, to accept that. I think by default, all of us, if we grew up in public education here, um, we are trained mentally to essentially just view the world as physical objects, as skin and bones, and that kind of be the end point of this. But as we saw at the beginning of the sermon, um, as Paul was describing the life of a Christian, as now he visits some, uh, in supernatural language, he says... If you are in Christ, as a Christian, you are a new creation. And this is what Paul is referring to. At the end of days, there is a resurrection that will happen. They call Christ the first fruits of the resurrection because just as Christ was raised from the dead, one day you and I will also be raised. And when that day happens, this is what, it's, I love reading Isaiah 60 and uh, in, in the 60 chapters through 66. I love reading Revelation 20 and, and 21 and, and 22 because what happens is heaven and earth, they do this. And it says in that day when our bodies are made anew and we are living, as Paul said in, in Philippians, in renewed glorious bodies that are imperishable. There'll be no more sin or crying or death or pain. Doesn't your heart long for that world? When you hear those words like, yes, Lord, please. This is what Paul is getting at when he he says you're a new creation. Today, if your faith is placed in Christ and you are controlled by the love of Christ, what happens is your heart is made anew. Elsewhere earlier um, in in chapter uh, 5, He says in verse 5 that the Spirit is given to us as a guarantee, as a down payment that is promised to you if you are a Christian. It is guaranteed you will be raised on that day and you will be given a perfect body. Heaven and earth will indeed meet and you will indeed be living there with your Creator forever and ever. But today, you have the Spirit. And Ezekiel says, through the Spirit, you are giving a heart of flesh, and you are made new. And Paul says, the old man is gone. The old man who was insecure, wanting everybody else's approval. The old man who was 
who is constantly looking for justification by his bank accounts or by his achievements in life or what his family thinks of him or what his coworkers thinks of him and constantly trying to earn God's approval and favor by going to church or doing the right religious action. He says, that man is gone. You don't, he's dead. Just as Christ died on the cross, he says, we have died. Just as Christ has died. But behold, you are a new creation. You are a glimpse of the future that is to come today. And he keeps going on. is doesn't stop there. He says, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is when it gets cosmic in proportions. Listen, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God is not only concerned about you. Say, what do you mean? Living in America, we are trained to only be concerned about ourselves, right? Um, We are just an incredibly individualistic, self-centered society. Our entire economy is kind of built off of that premise. And it's really hard as Christians living here um, we, we are trained to just take care of ourselves and think about ourselves only. But God is not just concerned about you. Your relationship to God is not just a one-way street between you and God. There is a people involved, but God is also concerned about the world. I, I, I have the privilege now of being a, um, a, a chaplain at a nursing home in Brick. And um, I was over there last week and sharing a, a quick message, actually from this passage, just sharing the gospel with these residents. And one of the ladies came up and said, um, afterwards I said, you know, how can we pray for you guys? And she said, oh, pray for world peace. And that, you know, you hear that a lot, pray for world peace. And sometimes even when you have that kind of prayer, you're like, okay, world peace. Um, <clears throat> does my little prayer concerning the world, like, will that make a difference? So, okay, yeah, pray for world peace. We'll pray for world peace. And we almost kind of write it off as like, I don't know. That's, that's a big shot prayer. That is a huge, like, buckshot prayer to the world peace. But reading this, it's kind of a prayer, not necessarily for world peace. You have to get into a little more of, you know, the biblical definition of what that prayer is seeking. But God does have the world in mind. He does. He's actually concerned about the world. And listen, in this period of grace, what has happened? It says this, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Christ is pursuing the world to take it back as his own. And when he left in his resurrected body, when he, before he was ascended, he said, all authority has been given over to me to get this world and bring it back into my possession. And the method of doing that is you. Listen to this. We are ambassadors for Christ. He says we, as in verse 20, we were entrusted with this message of reconciliation in the gospel message when he says, if you believe in me and your sin is wiped away and you can be restored back to the Father, we have become the ambassadors, the very entrustees of this message of reconciliation to a dying world. And so God is reconciling the world through the message of the death and resurrection of his son and it's up to you to spread this message to actually be the mouthpiece of God himself into this world. The result of this, as we do it, is as we are ambassadors for Christ, we are being made new as we carry out this message. 
this message of reconciliation that we are carrying out, there's a crucial piece that we must slow down and hear. Paul mentions it very briefly in verse 18. He says, this message that we are entrusted to, this reconciliation happening, all of this is from God. All of this is from God. This, res- this message of reconciliation is not one of saying, hey, um, you can fix the enmity, the, the, the idea of reconciliation is implied that there is enmity between, in, between this world and between God. There is a rift. There's a break in relationship. If you've been reconciled to a family member or reconciled to a friend, you understand what that word is referring to. There's a conflict. There's something separating you. And this world is indeed separated from God. But the message that we are sharing, that we are entrusted with, is not one saying, hey, um, you can repair this enmity by doing X, Y, Z. In the broader context of the book, Paul is addressing that very thing, the new covenant. Saying when, when we went to the new covenant, the nature of this has changed. It is a spiritual nature, but this is all from God. The message of reconciliation is saying God, the offended party, is actually the one who stooped down to pay for the offense committed against himself in order that he may reconcile and restore those who offended him back to himself. And what is the role that you have in that? Nothing. You stood there as God said, you offended me, you're worthy of death, but I'm going to come and actually pay all that stuff, pay all the penalties of that so I can get you back into my possession. And I will require no action from you other than mere faith in my son to accept this gift of reconciliation. All of this is from God. Now that is an amazing message that we have to carry to a hurting and dying world. So today, therefore, the church, as we are ambassadors for God, as we are sent out to be uh, ambassadors of this message of reconciliation, we are giving the world a glimpse. And this is just an amazing, uh, I call this, uh, you know, we have PLI every other Thursday night here. We are training some men in some deeper, heavier theology. And this is kind of one of my favorite topics of theology as we just kind of ad- address that we are being made new, being recreated um, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The old man has died. We are uh, giving a glimpse of the resurrection and the newness of our heart being made flesh. We are ambassadors going forth. The church's role in all of this is to be a shining light in a dark world. It is to be a glimpse of the future restored world. We are to be um, an example of God's heart, God's original design for the world when he originally created it, his end goals of what is ahead for us, a world with no more dying and death or pain or tears. Or, but the church today is within a fallen world, but we, as we are made new, we are a glimpse of that future earth today. We are essentially a massive flashlight, a massive a lighthouse, a beacon of light saying this is what God desired the world to look like. This is what God desired human relationships to look like. This is what God desired of human beings. Just look at the church. We know the church is full of many sins and many errors in history, but our prayer and as your pastors is that this church in Tom's River will be a glimpse of what the renewed world will one day look like as we are renewed, as we are sent out to our city to be ambassadors. Give the world a glimpse 
of God's heart for humanity. And so as we look at this passage, as we constructed that for us, listen to what Paul says in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And he switches and he goes um, a little more personal. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's two people in this room, all right? There's those who know Jesus, who identify as a Christian. I guess maybe there's three kinds of people, ultimately two. There's those who who identify as a Christian. There's fruit in their life, and we, we could affirm, you know, there's great evidence of faith in your life. The other kind of person in this room is, is one who thinks they are a Christian, but is not. And maybe, uh, you know, even Christ talks about this too. By looking at your life, uh, by others looking at your life, we couldn't even tell if that's the case because there appears to be fruit in your life. But you may be sitting here thinking you're a Christian, maybe you're not even a Christian. Maybe you're here and you know you're not a Christian, and you're just here because it's Christmas or whatever, or your family, whatever reasons you're here. Everybody in this room needs to be reconciled. We talk to the Christian first. The, the message of reconciliation is a one-time event upon your salvation. But we know that as the new man is born inside of us, the old man, even though he died on the cross with Christ, he still wants to surface his old ugly head all the time in our lives. He's trying to pop up and, and, and pull us down away from our beloved Savior. We know that sin is still present in our lives. It's a, it's a fight. It's the ultimate trajectory of, of trying to kill that sin and, and kill those things in our life. If you're a Christian today and, and, and you know there are things in your life that are keeping you from flourishing in Jesus, and you're not ignorant of it, but you're well aware of that sin, but you have chosen and I know there's people here that this is the case. You have chosen to embrace it and to hold on to your sin because you like it, because you want it, because it makes you feel good in that moment or whatever the case may be. And I'm calling you to lay down your arms and be reconciled once again today to Jesus Christ. You must repent. You must come before him and say, I need you. I want you. Please refresh me anew in your Holy Spirit. Let me uh, find reconciliation once again not by way of salvation, but by way of a restored relationship to him, by the removal of sin. Uh, let this Christmas season be a time when you can look back and say, man, some of those sins that I was clinging to, I was able to let go of finally. I was able to just beg the Spirit to come and help me kill that sin. John Owen famously said in his book, Mortification of Sin, he said, uh, you must be killing that sin or it will be killing you. May this season be a time when you can say, I was reconciled to God once again um, through relationship by looking at my sin and saying, I have to do something with this. I can't just let it be this weight on my shoulders bearing down. To those who think they're a Christian in this room, um, I'm going to attempt to talk to you right now. What is the basis for you being here? Why are you here? Paul said the love of Christ controls him. He said, if I'm out of my mind, it's because the love of Christ is controlling me. Is your desire to be a part of this church, is your desire to read this 
this Bible, to be a part of various ministries here, is your desire because of the love of Christ? Or is the motive somewhere else? I'm telling you that God is never impressed with our actions, with our, with our motives, if they are not founded on the love of Christ. Those are dirty rags to him. And it's tricky because you can be really good at doing all of those things and nobody knows. And maybe you're not even aware. But the question is, what is your motive? Is it Jesus? Is it the Son of God himself? If it is not, I would implore you, as Paul just did, be reconciled. Look past your religious actions and say, Jesus, are you first and foremost in my life? Is it, is it you? Is that why I am here? Is the love for you above anything else, is that why I want to read this thing, why I want to be a part of this church, why I claim to be a Christian? Is it him? And the second or the third person I want to speak to, if, if you're here and you don't know Christ, um, it's not up to us to um, bring salvation to anybody Paul says it is our job to try to persuade. He actually says this. Um, and uh, verse 11, he says, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. It's the job of the church. If, if you're here, we're not holding any cards. Like, we want to persuade you to know Jesus. All right? And the reason why, if you heard so far in this sermon, is your humanity can be restored in Christ. All those longings that you have and the things that you, the, 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 the uh, search for meaning and purpose in your life. It can be found in Jesus. And Paul says, today, you can be reconciled to God. You can know the truth of why you exist. You can know the truth of this world. You can know the truth of, of all things. Because all things are found in Jesus Christ himself. Paul goes even more deeper. He says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, he says, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. There's no better time than today if you feel that tug on your heart to say, I, I need to bend my knee today is not a favorable time other than now. If you're wrestling with anything, if you're a Christian, <clears throat> and the question I have written down is this, does your life appear to be a reconciled life? If I went and followed you around all day long in the private closed door of your room, if I open up your bank accounts and look at your transactions, if I saw how you treat your children and how you talk to your wife, if I just observed you throughout the day, could I look at your actions and say, man, this guy loves Jesus. He smells like Jesus. He's the aroma of Christ. Look at him. This is awesome. Look how he spends his money. Wow, I, I see Jesus in his checkbook. Is that you today? And as I say that, there's probably something that popped in your mind that said, that's not of Christ. That does not have the fragrance of Christ. Whatever that is, pay attention to it, face it, examine it, look at it, and say, God, I want this removed. I need this removed. Don't ignore that. That's the Spirit showing that to you. Spend today facing it. Spend this Christmas season facing that sin. And are you prepared to rest 
and the reconciliation Christ has achieved for you? Or are you still laboring away with your actions to try to resolve the enmity between yourself and God alone? This is a work of Christ. Rest in Christ's work. If you are here and you are trying to just labor to earn God's approval in your life, rest in the work that Christ has done for you. As we seek on the back end of our sermon, uh, what does this have to do with Christmas? All of these uh, things, wonderful things we spoke of, what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, the reconciliation of this world, it began when the Christ child was born. That was the first major uh, step in, in the epoch of, of God's redemptive story when heaven did come down to earth, uh, not in its fullness, but in the form of heaven sending its own to become a child, to be born in weakness. And that way, heaven and earth did indeed um, begin the process of meeting when Christ was born and he became the supreme human being who died for all of our sins and who was raised to give us new life. That is what the Christmas season is about. This reconciliation began on Christmas morning. And as we go back to the beginning of our sermon, the world belongs to Jesus. He is reclaiming this world for himself. In his grace, he has given us a chance to be restored to him. Not by force, but by grace. We are so used to in um, in enemy territory, if somebody is trying to restore um, the territory back to themselves in movies, like you, you think of the, all these Marvel movies, right? Um, if there's some kind of, you know, enemy around, the process of the enemy, of getting rid of the enemy is just slaughtering everybody. It's just violence and explosions and, you know. But the gospel tells us that when Christ is restoring this world, he, he's doing so with himself, lying himself down before his own enemy and saying, I am putting my my arms down, and I am laying down for my enemy, and I'm going to die for my enemy. And this gives us a window of time of grace for you to be restored by God through grace and by grace alone. One day he will come, and when he returns, it will not be a pretty picture. It will be brutal. Read the book of Revelation, you will see Judgment will indeed come to this world, but today the opportunity for grace awaits you. And so as we close, my word to you is be reconciled to God while you still have the chance today. And the fullness of joy is offered to you. His right hand or pleasures forevermore. Not only will you be made a new creature, but you will receive the fullness of joy of living. Let this Christmas season be that season where you can look back and remember, I found a fullness of joy for the very first time. I was reconciled to my God again. Let that be today. Let us pray. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you for these truths. Um, I pray as your spirit was um, stirring in this room, Lord, the things you brought to people's minds in this room, would you help us to listen to it? Help us to listen to uh, what, what Luther called the, the, the preaching of the Spirit. Lord, as you, you love to speak to us. You love to show us our sins. You love to show us your glory and your power and your wonder. You love to show us your plans for this world to reconcile it and reclaim it back to your own. You love to show us our role in all these things, Lord, that we just visited today. May we be 
uh, reconciled to you. May we be agents to this hurting and dying world of reconciliation. Would you empower us to do so? And may this Christmas season be one of, of, of just uh, of memory, Lord. We look back and just remember the joy that we found this season. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your work in this world. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.